This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, I'm sitting with Kayla Fujimoto Epperson, physical therapist and strength and conditioning coach. I got to meet Kayla through a mutual connection. They came out to the facility and Kayla instantly became a referral source for my youth athletes and my adult population. Today, we're gonna talk about the youth athletes that Kayla works with, mainly overhead athletes, pitchers, baseball players, tennis players, hockey players, quarterbacks. We go through her philosophies with working with these athletes, some of the stories and some of the experiences she's encountered and the emotional occurrences that go into an athlete with injury. Kayla herself went through some pretty significant injuries starting at the age of 12 and into her collegiate tennis playing days. And those would eventually lead her into her profession. And now she owns her own business in St. Charles, Illinois, which she opened during the pandemic. Kayla is a great physical therapist. There's a lot of great information coming your way in this episode. So listen in, don't forget to rate and review at the end and please enjoy. Kayla, welcome on and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're we're gonna get into a lot of really interesting and cool stuff today. Um, and usually stuff that I don't even anticipate getting into, which is always the fun <laughs> part. Um, but before we do, can you give people a little background on yourself, what you do, why you're here? Yeah, so I'd say my kind of superhero name is a teen athlete hype woman. I think if I could put that <laughs> on my business card, I would definitely go with that. But then my actual professional background, I'm a uh, sports physical therapist. And I also have my strength and conditioning certification. And I kind of weave that into my the rehab that I do working with athletes. I'm here in the Western suburbs and I grew up in this area and I love being in this community. Um, I was a former college tennis player and had a pretty significant injury history throughout my time playing tennis. And that's definitely kind of led me to where I am today, practicing as a sports physical therapist. And I'm really passionate about working with that youth and teen athlete um, in that age level. Because that's who you work with the most, right? Youth and teen athletes? Yeah, yep, that's primarily my the most uh, common patient population that I work with now. Okay. Well, let's start with your rehab. What yeah. was a what was a rehab experience like for you with your injuries? And what was your injury? Maybe we can start there. Yeah. So it kind of goes all the way back to when I was 12 years old. I, um, I had a knee injury when I was playing tennis and, you know, I was battling pain. Didn't know what was going on. I got bounced around and juggled to a bunch of different doctors who were saying all different sorts of things. Um, and there was one doctor in particular. I remember I was 12. I was sitting in, you know, their exam room and didn't know what was going on with my knee, just knew I had pain. Um, a lot of it was kind of over my head at that point, and I was really frustrated. And this doctor told me, well, uh, your competitive playing days are over. You'll never play tennis again. And even that same doctor said, probably won't even ride a bike again, and you can't play any sports. And, like, I don't remember anything after that moment. Like, I was 
devastated. Like I just went numb, like tennis and sports, like as a kid, like that's part of your identity. It's where your friends are. It's where you have fun, like start feeling confident in your skills and, you know, you know, your body. And in that moment, I was just like crushed. And I'm thankfully my parents didn't take that for an answer. And we got, you know, follow second opinion, third opinion. Um, and I finally found a doctor who treated me like as the kid like sitting in front of him and not based on you know whatever imaging I had that was scaring some other doctors into actually looking into working with me and my his my medical history and things and um, it turned out that I just had you know some muscle imbalances and the imaging that I did have was very misleading I didn't have as severe of this of an injury they thought I had something with a lot of bony and cartilage involvement they thought I had this big bony defect no one wanted to touch me and that ended up not being the case and so this other doctor sent me to physical therapy. That was my first physical therapy experience. Um, and I was very fortunate to work with PTs who, you know, took the time to relate to a 12-year-old kid in front of them, started incorporating tennis into my rehab. And I wrote my seventh grade career report on physical therapy and decided I wanted to be a PT. And, you know, I just ever since then, like, never changed my mind, never looked back. And um, just grew to be more and more passionate about this profession. And um, in college, I was playing tennis at Indiana. And my junior year, um, I ended up having shoulder surgery. I tore my labrum. And looking back, it's an injury that was very preventable. Um, and it's very common in overhead athletes. And I think this is another case where maybe my imaging was misleading and I could have done a better job on the rehab side to work my way out of it and strength train and do the corrective exercise and work on my, my serve mechanics for sure, for one. And um, I really think I probably could have avoided having that surgery. And then I had a second surgery the spring of my junior year and my wrist, another thing related to my stroke mechanics. Um, and so big picture, I think um, a lot of the injuries I did suffer from were overuse injuries and related to whether it was my form, um, you know, certain weaknesses I had in my body. And then, you know, I, I really feel like I had opportunities to maybe do some more sports specific rehab and avoid surgery. Um, and I never 100% came back from those. And so that's really why I do what I do now. Um, and I'm a huge advocate for conservative management, and then definitely I'm a huge advocate for just injury prevention training, which is just a fancy way of saying strength training. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and we've talked about this and you know, I've, I've loved working side by side with you here and there, but it, there's so much overlap. The CSCS alone is something we both share and there's yeah. so much overlap now between what you do and what you know, the higher end strength coaches do. Not that we deal with pain because we don't, but, but leaking into the performance side. I don't pre pretend to be sports performance specialist or, you know, strength and conditioning. Yes, I have that in, in my toolkit, but I definitely stay in my lane of being on the rehab side and then collaborating when we are bridging that gap between that rehab and then going back to strength and conditioning. And I love collaborating with the strength and conditioning side for sure. It's super important. Yeah. And there, I have so much to get into based on, you know, the story <laughs> you just told, but to stay on that for a second, that overlap is important. To not have this fine line, I, I think people picture scope and a lot of, and especially on the strength, I'll, I'll speak poorly for my own side. A lot of you know them are so typecast about a specific line that there should be in the sand about you know where handoff should happen. And I think that's so terribly wrong. So I think the actually the stronger the gray area is, the better the athlete or the adult, doesn't have to be the athlete, 
the better their experience is if there is commonality for a gray area versus you've reached the end of my specialty. I have no choice. You got to leave my door until you go to somebody else. Because coming up in post rehab, that's kind of how it was. And that's what I learned under, unfortunately, because I think that was the wrong model. There was just this day where it's like, you graduated, <laughs> and you go see someone else. So, I mean, I don't yeah. know how you feel about that, but it's always been kind of a pet peeve of mine in our field. Yeah. And I, I do think having that fluidity between professions is really critical, especially, um, you know, I think it's critical in just the general population, but definitely on the athletic side is because I think in my profession, sometimes um, PTs get so hung up on treating the injury, treating the injury, treating the injury. So like, you know, after a surgery, it's like, we're just, we're looking at their shoulder, we're working on their shoulder, if you had a shoulder surgery in my case, and and then you're missing, like, how do I keep up with my cardiovascular conditioning? Like, am I still training my lower half? Like, am I still training my other side? Like, what can I be doing based, like, with the, you know, appropriate precautions or limitations from, you know, rehab on the rehab side or post-surgically? And, and then you're like, okay, now you've graduated PT, go back to your sport. And it's like, wait a second, like, <laughs> you miss this whole block of training. And then, um, you know, you definitely need to have that, you know, open training throughout and have that process just occurring like all at once for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And to have a strong, you know, speaking of referrals, to have a strong network. Cause if I go back to your story, that's the first thing I thought of was, well, first of all, the first thing I thought of was shame on that doctor for being so, <laughs> forgetting about being absolute, even if that was his opinion, like it's, yeah. it's, well, it's probably besides the point for today, but you know, if how important it is to get in front of the right person. And for me, if my, if one of my athletes does go through an injury, why it's so important that I have referral sources like you, like my person that I have in the city, who's also been on this podcast, you know, it's cause then it's time is of the essence, right? So one good for your parents for not taking that as a final answer. I guess let's start there. How often as a PT, do you see kind of these multiple stops where people really have to go through multiple opinions before they find the answer they're looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it really depends where you start, but um, unfortunately, I think on the the U side, it can get more jumbled um, more often, just because you know you think of kids being generally healthy, and um, so sometimes it's easier to miss different things, or um, or from the parent side, maybe not being as educated to to recognize injury in a U13 athlete or just think of it as growing pains or, oh, like, are they actually like, you know, saying the truth or they're, they're fine or do they exaggerate? And so, and sometimes the kids themselves can't express um, in words what they're feeling or what's going on. And so it is hard to pinpoint injury or pain problems if the kids don't even understand or can describe what they're feeling to an adult um, or a medical professional. So how does that assessment change? So yeah, as someone that treats the lower end of youth to professional athletes who can obviously translate exactly what they need and what they feel to you, how do you assess a child who you can't ask the usual questions to? Yeah, I work a lot with um, teenage boys too. So that's like a whole nother animal, <laughs> baseball yes. players. And so you really have to, you can't ask a lot of confusing questions. You can't ask... <laughs> a lot of questions that like related using medical terminology you really have to simplify a lot of your questioning and 
Um, and I also have to be careful of not allowing or giving yes or no questions because then I don't get any follow-up information. And so it, it, it does take a little bit of skill and I try my best to, you know, speak directly at their level and a level they're comfortable with and then ask them questions that, you know, they can really relate to. And then if I need to, like I'll turn to the parents and say, do we have any gaps we need to fill in here? But I really try to keep my one-on-one -on -one conversation directly with the kid or the teen so that they feel like they're, you know, in charge and feel like they're, you know, have some power and, you know, that I trust them and I'm not just going to look past them and just want to talk to mom or dad because then they'll feel like, you know, they don't really have a say or a word in what's going on too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you have coaches, you have moms to kind of fill in, fill in the gap, but yeah. it's such an important message to my athletes of, I don't want you playing through pain. I don't want you working out through pain. I don't want your lifts. They should not be painful. And working through them is not a tough guy thing. It's a stupid thing. So, you know, you need to be honest with me if something creeps up that is unexpected. And something I ask at the beginning and end of every single session is how do you feel now? You know, it's just these check-ins because as a young athlete who dealt with injuries, I lied and I lied a lot you know, because hurt meant I can't play. Exactly. So yeah. it's got to be that element too of, you know, uh, there are physical assessments you use just to, that, that really can overcome whatever the player is telling you. Yes. And no, it just depends what the injury type is. Like there are certain, you know, in, in baseball, for example, I, I work with a lot of baseball players. Like when they come to me with elbow pain, I saw a ton of elbow pain this summer and, and these guys, they just want to keep throwing, but their coaches are like, well, your throwing looks a little off. Like what's going on? Oh, my elbow's kind of sore, but they weren't going to say anything. And then mm -hmm. they come see me and then, you know, I know there's a couple of you know, where I need to clear and, you know, screen and do a couple of different tests, take them through different motions or strength tests. And then, you know, where I'm just palpating and touching certain points. And if I can like touch a certain point, it lights them up. And, and then I'm like, okay, like, we know, like there's something going on here that you're maybe covering for, or, um, you know, playing down a little bit, but um, it certainly depends for a lot of different types of injuries. And I think teenagers too, they have a whole other of just psychosocial and emotional side to them um, sure. outside of their injury. So it can be hard to just read them and communicate. And that's just another layer. Sure. So you mentioned rotational athletes. Now that's what you work a lot with. What's a rotational athlete? What's considered a rotational athlete? Yeah. So um, tennis, baseball, uh, volleyball, um, we've got golf, uh, hockey, anyone that's twisting, rotating, and, and in most cases it's with an implement or throwing, um, that's, that constitutes a rotational athlete. And I work a lot with overhead athletes um, in rotational sports, so I see a lot of shoulders. And obviously it's something I'm more passionate about to myself just because of my personal experience with it. Um, but yeah, anyone that's a rotational athlete will typically have, um, some asymmetries just from playing their sport. And so that's exciting to me being able to look, you know, top down, head to toe, um, and looking, it's really important to take a look at the entire body when a, when a rotational athlete comes in with a specific injury. I mean, for any athlete in general, like, you know, always big picture look is really important and key. Yeah. So, so overhead athletes, quarterbacks pitchers, yeah, football, yeah. Well, baseball players in general, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of getting so many reps on a singular side, no athlete is, is ambidextrous to that extent, right? No one's ever practicing it complete, even throwing and shooting basketball players. What are common things you see 
with these type of athletes coming into your door during an assessment? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll go probably more along the lines of an overhead athlete or a throwing athlete. So, you know, I see a lot of tennis and baseball players and I'll see a lot of side to side differences in shoulder mobility, but then also strength. And some of this is going to be expected just because it's an adaptation of playing their sport and it's actually advantageous and from a performance standpoint, but there are certain measurements um, that are associated with injury risk or maybe poor performance. So I see a lot of side to side differences in, in the shoulder and then also in the hips because they're always they tend to be rotating in one direction repeatedly. And so you'll see different uh, differences in hip mobility side to side, maybe strength, but there are certain cutoff numbers um, from a, you know, a research perspective of, you know, that are associated with injury risk. And so those are areas that when I screen an athlete, you know, I have that, those numbers in the back of my mind, we compare side to side and, you know, say, Hey, like, you know, this is an area from, you know, an injury prevention standpoint, but then maybe also a performance standpoint that we need to, you know, zone in on and start working on. And how often are you, I know you already mentioned you do a lot with head to toe assessments, which I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're probably finding a lot of points of error, points of need, even though you're addressing a completely different part of the body. So how does your typical rehab process start? Do you normally start with point of pain? Do you normally start systemically? What's your approach? Yeah, so I'd say my first initial evaluation, what I'll do is, and sometimes it's a 20-minute just conversation at the beginning. I want to know your playing history. How long have you been playing your sport? Are you How many hours a week are you training? Have you recently changed your training load or training volume, um, especially in my younger athletes? Uh, you know, 12, 13 years old or even younger, like they come in with a a ton of pain. I want to see, have you had a big spike in your um, training history recently? Is this maybe more of an overuse um, injury? And then also same thing with um, growth plate related injuries. Having that training history is really important and making sure that their volume is appropriate for their age and they're not overtraining. Um, We see this in early sports specialization too, and that's another big debate in can of worms, mm-hmm. but there are certain recommendations um, and guidelines to follow for our younger athletes who have open growth plates and um, are more prone to bony stress injuries. So sometimes that, that initial assessment, it's, it can be a long just conversation. So I can paint that whole picture of um, your, your history in sport. And then when it gets to an actual physical exam, Yes, we'll take a look at, you know, your specific, um, you know, pain area. I want to run you through, you know, a full assessment there and and see what's going on. But then I also want to go to the joints and body parts above and below and make sure, you know, we're not missing anything there. And then for the rotational athletes and most of the athletes I work with, you know, we're definitely looking at the lower half or the upper body, even though their injury might be on, you know, on the other side of the body. So, Um, And I always compare side-to-side differences between dominant and non-dominant or injured and uninjured side because that also gives me a lot of good information about where their baseline is at. And I'm not just using, you know, the literature, like I'm comparing to what's their normal too. Sure. And how about for, you know, for youth strength training? You know, a lot of these myths have been debunked, you know, the stunting of growth and when to start, you know, when to start loading. But there are some precautions to take when you do have some of those open facets. So what is the right age for parents to find a good strength coach for their young athletes? So 
I'm going to go with the easy answer here. It really depends. It really does. And it, you have to think about, um, like, you know, is the strength, the strength coach they're, coach they're working with you're really good at working on building foundations and physical literacy? Are they making sure that they can pass, you know, basic foundational movement patterns before putting them under load? And then you also have to think about the kid themselves. Like, are they, do they have the mental capacity and like personal drive to actually want to do strength training? Because you throw them in, do a lot of strength training and they don't even want to be there. It's kind of counterintuitive in that, in that regard as well. And then, you know, maybe they're not as coachable if they're just not into it. And so um, maybe it's not as good of a fit. But I'd say like around that seventh or eighth grade age is a good time to start introducing to strength training and learning those foundational movement patterns. But before then, it's it's just let kids be kids, let them play, let them make mistakes, like let them play lots of different sports, let them play outside and just like move and figure out themselves like different movement patterns and 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 honestly just play like that's how they're gonna learn the best I think a lot of kids get started in a single sport so early and they only do that movement pattern over and over and over again and then you try to ask them to you know play a different sport or do something else and they're like what's going on like I don't know how to move my body in that way but in general like seventh and eighth grade is a a great age to start um, introduction to strength training um, if if there's some buy-in from the kid themselves too we talked before the show about, you know, kind of a sense of urgency that happens that as your, your life as an athlete, unfortunately, does have somewhat of a clock. And most athletes don't play past high school. It's just by the numbers, right? Most of our high school athletes are not going to go on to play D1 college ball. So when something like an injury happens, there's an emotional side to it, right? Because there's a little bit of a panic, both from the, the athlete and from the parent side of it that I see a lot. And you must see more than I do. How do you talk through those conversations with with parents and athletes who who feel like like you did, who feel like maybe they've been told that their odds are against them of going on a field? Maybe they're juniors in high school and they think that their shot is is now going to be diminished. You know, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think um, you know this is a an area where you do have to be a little dynamic in your approach to working with an injured athlete and you know, some sessions with my athletes, like they just need to vent that day and talk to me about stuff. And we need to, you know, have a heart to heart and put things in perspective. And that's what they need that day um, in rehab. And, and then also working closely with sports psych peripherals. I think that's also a critical part and the mindfulness piece of it and, you know, mental toughness and, you know, building some belief and resilience and, and, you know, trying to get your head wrap your mind around coming back and being stronger than you were before. I think kids, when they get hurt, you know, even like junior, senior in high school, and, you know, maybe you haven't made, committed to a college yet. And it is, it, it can be a really hard time and an injury can set you back. And that's where I like to sit down with my athletes and say, Hey, big picture, where are we right now? Like with this injury, like how much time do we have to reach your ultimate goal? And then that can sometimes help put things in perspective about like, we actually do have some time and like, let's break it down. Like it, this may feel like super overwhelming to you, like in this moment, like let's look at the big scheme of things and um, you're actually not that far off and you know, you can, you can easily, you know, train and rehab and recover. And then you've got three more months before your actual season is going to start. And so I think a lot of kids, at first, they're only thinking about like in that moment, you know, everything's over for them or, or done. And, and then 
you know, media and the parents or coaches or whatever outside influencers can be feeding into that. And so sometimes it just, it helps to like sit back and think big picture, where are we at? Where do you want to be? Okay. Here's the actual time you have. And is that reasonable? And in a lot of cases it is. So I actually have an athlete right now who, um, is a senior, uh, he's a baseball player. He's already committed to a school, but he actually had to have surgery um, this summer. And I mean, he was devastated and, and scared and afraid that what's my college coach going to think now that I'm having this surgery as a senior in high school, I've already committed. Like, what if like this happens or what if that happens? And then the spiral just keeps happening. I'm like, Hey, like you're cool. Like, like this rehab will take you probably three to four months which takes you to January. And then look, you've got eight months, like pretty much before a season starts, you've got plenty of time and you're probably going to come back stronger than you were before this surgery, because we're working on a bunch of stuff you weren't doing in your training program beforehand. So perspective is definitely key. I love that positive because I've seen that a lot where maybe there's no focus on strength training. Kids are just playing and then an injury brings them to a PT like you, who then introduces them to the side. I've had, I don't know how many parents come to me and say, well, they just had an injury and they, you know, the PT said that they need to keep strength training. So that's why I'm here. And then maybe you're right. They go on and have better careers than maybe they would have because they ran into the program that actually brought out the best in them. So I love the silver lining part of that. I'm actually running like a baseball arm care program right now. And I offered it to the entire um, baseball program that I work with. And the only kids that signed up are the kids that have worked with me who have been injured before. And so it just, it was, I mean, to me, it was shocking. I thought I probably would have more people from the program sign up, but 100% of the kids that signed up were kids that have had an injury before. And so they, they see the value in doing the Mm -hmm. strength training and injury prevention and they've, put it into they've you know put it into their current routine and invested in it and so and I think in my case too like in college if if I would have known what I could have been doing to avoid that whole year of being out my whole junior year of being out I would have totally done it and that's why like I'm just like you know trying to educate and promote the injury prevention side as much as possible I'd much rather spend my time doing that than seeing um, kids after the fact when they are already injured. My injury as a young athlete was a back injury. And I went to specialist after specialist. Nothing was structurally wrong. Everyone kept telling me I had scoliosis. I'm sure I had some curvature. But you know, looking back at it, and I just was looking at one of your posts about an athlete who came in and had just a major rotational asymmetry. And you know, you, it was a three-session process for you. And it was just a matter of taking some pressure off and relieving some things and strengthening the right areas. So you're right. Looking back, I, I really wish I had that direction, that mindset, to say, maybe if I go to the right person, but instead I kept going to, to just get more imaging. It was just more imaging, more imaging, more imaging. And that person's job wasn't to tell me to go do that. It was just to say, this is what the imaging says. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually have another 12 year old athlete right now. She, um, she's a tennis player. She had imaging done for shoulder pain and they started treating her based on her imaging. And, you know, to me, I in a 12 year old athlete, that's not my, my first thought is like actual pathology going on in the shoulder. It's more of, okay, what's your training load look like? And it turned out she started off last year. She was only training five hours a week. And then she went to a tennis academy, started training five hours a day and then developed the shoulder pain, which I really think was just a stress related and overuse injury. 
She started going to physical therapy um, somewhere else. She went for 76 visits for over the course of 11 months. And then she found me through a, a tennis medicine doctor at Emory University. And I saw her for one week. We did really specific strength training. She played with no pain for the next week. And she hadn't had that in a year. And so it really does, I think, make a difference when you go see someone that's sports specific, but then also, you know, youth and teen athletes specific, like looking at where they are developmentally and then just helping them understand like what's going on. She was really fearful. I mean, she's been hurt, not been able to play tennis for a year without pain and been told by so many different doctors what pathology is going on in her shoulder. And instead of being like, here's what you need to work on and this is going to help you and, you know, buy into a program. And instead she was told so many different things and it was overwhelmed and didn't really know where to go. And um, we really simplified things. And thankfully she's doing really awesome and back to playing. And but it does, it does make a difference. For sure. Yeah. In a past episode, we we went through defining pain because pain can be <laughs> uh, pain can be excruciating for something that's an asymmetry and just a movement imbalance, and then it can be not so excruciating for a fracture and a tear. So pain is really not the end game when it comes to diagnosis. You know. So maybe I want to hear your take a little bit on on how you deal with pain and what really pain means for an athlete. Yeah, I think. It really depends. Like if I have an athlete that's I can tell is really fear-based and fearful, I'm going to try to not really perseverate on asking, how's your pain now? How's your pain? Or does it hurt when you do this? Like, and so I'm like, how does that feel? Like, how are you doing? And like focus on the positives and then they'll start saying, well, it feels good. And then, you know, they'll start focusing on the positives as opposed to like trying something and waiting for it to hurt. And then I also will sometimes, I'll, I often won't use the word pain. I'll say, does that feel like your symptoms? Or are you getting any symptoms with this? Or are you getting any sensation? And like, you know, differentiating between pain and like muscles working is another really key thing. Like, and, you know, in, in some injuries, like a tendinopathy, you do want to push in a little bit of pain is okay, because that's what's challenging the tendon and the load when you're in that loading process. And so, um, it is kind of a dance and depending on who you're working with and, and what words you're using. And I do think now in my practice, when I first started practicing, I was so set on like, I have to figure out the diagnosis and that like, we need to come up with a diagnosis for everything. Like after I evaluate you and then I need to give you an explanation of why that's happening. And, um, now I feel like I'm much more, um, ambiguous with my explanations and like more broad strokes and, because then the patient isn't going to get so hung up on the wording of how you're saying something. Or if you're like, oh, I think you might have a rotator cuff tear. Now all of a sudden they're like, I'm not going to move my arm because it's torn. And it's like, <laughs> or if they have had imaging that has shown that. And we'll just say, I think you have generalized pain and stiffness related to you know common injury in your age group. And then it seems a lot less scary and they'll feel like, oh, I can still work through this and do stuff as opposed to being hung up on, you know, a pathology or medical term. Um, and I, I do try to, you know, I, in my practice now, just swing more towards that side of um, making them feel empowered and, um, you know, not as afraid of, of movement. Yeah. These athletes also have so many voices in their head. They have their coaches, they have their PE teachers who might be running them through strength programs. That's a big thing that I that I have to manage quite a bit is just the different voices. And then in your case, maybe they have an ortho, they have you, and then they have their parents. And the parents can really differ depending on their personal experience too. Were they athletes? Were they not athletes? 
you know, there, there's a lot that goes in. How much do you find yourself trying to manage all these personalities on your end? Are you talking a lot with, you know, cause I was, there's a coach, but there's also, there's a speaking for myself first, I guess there's a fine line where this is really not the most open situation in terms, especially when it comes to like PE teachers and school strength programs. They're not very open lines of communication to these avenues. So how do you help your athletes to make the right decisions when they're not with you? Yeah. Um, I try to give my athletes as much responsibility and independence as possible. When I work in the environment with the baseball program, I am in close communication with the coaches just because I'm, I'm around regularly. I know them and I'm in there. So it's, it is a nice fluid setup, but even then, even though I do have a quick access to the coaches in that setting, I put it on the athlete to say, Hey, like, you know, it's on you now to go tell your coach what we talked about and what you're focusing on, what you're working on. And maybe some things you need to modify at practice that day. And like, I could easily have done that, but if, if they can have a good understanding of what the, the, um, you know, progression is and where they're specifically at and understanding why they can or can't do certain things, like then they're going to be way more bought into the rehab plan and program. They're going to have a better understanding of it and take some more ownership of it too. And so I put it on them to communicate to the coaches. And then if they need me to hop in, like I, I make myself available. Same thing with strength coaches. Like I'll tell my athletes, like, I'm happy to speak to your strength coach, but um, you can tell them, like, this is what we're working on right now. This is where you're still limited. And then then they have an understanding when they go to their workouts, like, of why they can or can't do certain things or why they need to modify or maybe focus on one area more than another. And, again, I make myself available, but in most cases, like, they're able to communicate that um, directly. And so, yes, I like having, like, open communication and um, – with different professions, but I do put it on the athlete to open those doors and I will happily communicate, but I want them to understand, you know, what the process is and why, why they're doing what they're doing or, you know, why they're modifying. Um, and then come to me, you know, if they need more clarification, but, you know, I have an athlete going to another strength conditioning coach, so he'll come to me for rehab and then I'll text the strength and condition coach later that night. Hey, how did he do? But, you know, he knows from the athlete of, you know, where we're at and in his progress post-surgery. And I do just put on the athletes as much as possible so they can really take ownership and be responsible. Well, and, uh, and the buy-in is the key point there too, because then when they have that responsibility, they feel like they're they're part of the decision-making. They feel like they're a part of the process mm-hmm. more than just more than just being told from other voices, they become their own voice. Exactly. Um, so so yeah. I, lo- I love that mindset. And, uh, and this is a little harder for a youth athlete than it is an adult, but I like to tell my adults too that's you know if, if this is your program, you get to say who talks to who. So if you know if, if one of my adult clients is going to to an ortho to a PT, or vice versa, they're going to PT and the PT wants to talk to me, it's up to them to say I need you two to get in the room. I need you two to talk. So and maybe this is where parents can come in a little bit too. But I, I think the more people start getting used to and forcing communication a little bit the better off it is for the athlete or the client as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's always better when, you know, everyone's on the same page and I think things go more fluidly and then also there's less confusion as well. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when there's that many cooks in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So recently to, to change topics a little bit recently, you also became a business owner. 
So you, you had this dream to become a PT. You've done it. You're an awesome PT because I've seen you firsthand. And now you're a business owner who just changed locations. So what made you want to go from practicing with athletes, which you succeeded, to, to also taking on what I know is the not always fun uh, aspect of being a business owner? Yeah. Um, so I was previously working in just an outpatient orthopedic model for physical therapy. It was a, a, a corporate setting. And I feel like with the way healthcare is structured these days, there are a lot of high productivity standards, um, you know, to make money. There are a lot of uh, insurances making a lot of the decisions um, when I am working with people on the rehab side, unfortunately. So it, I did have some limitations where, you know, I couldn't do provide injury prevention training because that's not covered by insurance. Um, if I was seeing someone for a shoulder, um, you know, there were limitations if they came in or like, hey, my foot started bothering me. Can you look, look at that too? And I, well, no, I need a, a script for that as well if it's unrelated. And so there are just so many different constraints and, and also just the structure of, you know, not being able to work one-on-one -on -one with a patient and having someone walking in the door every 20 minutes that needed my attention. Obviously now with COVID, um, maybe things have changed a bit. Well, hopefully things have changed. So there's not that many people in the clinic, but um, it was, I didn't feel like I could give my all with every single patient in that setting. Um, and I also wasn't seeing a lot of, of the athletic population that I'm most passionate working with. And so it got to a point where it's like, I have all these ideas of things I want to do. And I just felt stuck in <laughs> by the corporate model of where I was at. And so it, it definitely was time to make a change. And thankfully, <laughs> it, it has all worked out really well. And I know my parents were like, how are you going to start a business in the middle of COVID? I'm like, well, no one else is hiring right now. Most PTs have been furloughed. So um, we'll take my best shot at it. And, you know, fortunately it's, it's worked out great and I absolutely love it and I'm totally doing what I want to be doing right now. Good for you. So you would say that it, you've been pretty successful opening even during the middle of a, of a pandemic. Yeah, and I, maybe the pandemic worked in my favor a little bit because sports started up really fast and I had a lot of injuries right away. And so, um, unfortunately, that was a benefit to, uh, to myself. But um, I, I think this model people have definitely bought into, the model that I've worked out is you get one-on-one -on -one individualized attention and you can, you have the option of working with me, you know, from injury prevention standpoint. And so, I do offer like sports health assessments. So specifically for, I have an, you know, an overhead athlete screen. Um, I also have a female athlete screen or like a soccer and basketball screen where we look mostly at lower body um, assessments. And so I'm able to offer those um, evaluations and then provide follow-up sessions for specific injury prevention based on those assessments. And that's something that I really couldn't do from an insurance-based model previously. And so there is a need for it and I'm, I'm happy to be able to fill that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, good for you. I'm, I'm glad it, glad it worked out because you just moved to St. Charles, correct? Yeah. So I'm in the new space uh, this week, we just started. So, um, yep, we're in St. Charles and then, um, I do do some mobile treatment where I'll go out with different sports programs and go directly to them and into their facilities. And so that's another nice thing about having my own business is that flexibility to kind of work outside or work in, in from any location really yeah all right well we're gonna we're gonna play a game here today <laughs> you're the second person to play this game with me and uh i like to not let you be prepared because i think it's better for me <laughs> but we're gonna start with three exercises that everyone needs 
three exercises that you think every, and we'll go specific to what you do. So we'll say three exercises that every youth athlete should have in their program. And then we're going to turn around to say the three exercises, and I've worded this carefully, the three exercises that we can probably be, do, be doing less of. All right. So we can start on either one. If you want to start okay. with the, uh, the one, let's start with the ones we need. What are three, three exercises that every youth athlete should have in their program? I am going to go with walking lunges for sure. A lot of kids need to figure out how to move their bodies and in multiple planes and at once. And I think that's an exercise that I see a lot of breakdowns with typically. And so a good area to focus on. I would also say for a youth athlete, um, working on jumping and jumping mechanics, any sort of jumping, whether it's single leg, double leg, forward, sideways, bounding, anything like it's definitely an area to be focused on. Again, just learning how to move and, and developing physical literacy. And then the last thing I would say for any overhead athlete, they need to be doing heavy rotator cuff strength. Um, I don't know how many times I have seen overhead athletes with a lot of muscle imbalances in the rotator cuff or not even doing any sort of rotator cuff strengthening. I was one of those athletes. And I think it's very important uh, for any overhead athlete getting strong overhead in your rotator cuff for sure. Right. Can you give me an example of an overhead of a rotator cuff? Yeah. So I love doing um, cable column internal and external rotation down by your side. Um, and then also external rotation overhead or at 90 degrees, like Okay. People need to get strong there. <laughs> I like it. And then for things that we maybe don't need as much. Yep. Oh, goodness. I would go with, my goodness, this is going to be hard. Can I say from like a rehab standpoint? Absolutely, yeah. So in a general, uh, general patient population, I see – far too many of only table exercises. <laughs> we, I think, I think in uh, the physical therapy profession, getting people off of the table and moving um, is really important and um, doing a better job of, of loading our older individuals and our older patients. Um, so less TheraBand and more strength training, <laughs> more weight training. Can that count as all three of mine? <laughs> <laughs> I did actually write down three points. So I guess that can count. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like I have a 73-year-old client and she was in physical therapy somewhere else. And um, I just work with her from a wellness standpoint and we do heavy strength training and she needs that. And she, she wasn't getting stronger with just TheraBand exercise. And I think in our older population, even adult population in the rehab side, I think we're underloading a lot and maybe that's access to equipment or um, in that setting, but it is the problem of just thinking that our older patients can't lift loads. <laughs> well, it, it's a fear-based problem, right? And the fear goes on, it's on both sides. It's on the coach or practitioner and it's on the client or patient because sometimes both, if not one or the other, but usually both have this like, I better just play it safe which leads to more injuries than people realize than it does save. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you're kind of playing into the fear a little bit. If you, you know, depending on what exercise you're doing, or if you're only doing like 
you know, holding on to the, the bar doing, you know, balance exercise, like when I'd actually ever going to let go of the bar and do balance exercises, you're kind of just building into that fear. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, those, those are great answers. So thank you. <laughs> and, when, and when we get into jumping, landing, right? Landing is the big, is the bit, not the bigger component. Cause obviously you want people to learn how to launch off the ground, but yeah. coming back down is where you see a lot of, a lot of the injuries. And, you know, I, I was with, um, I'm going to blank out her name now, but at one of the conferences I was speaking at, I had a great ortho talking about the prevalence of ACL tears, especially in females and just in landing mechanics. I have a volleyball player I'm working with right now who she's a freshman in high school, but she's very tall. And so just, but the combination of the age, the laxity of her system, the inexperience that she's already has, plus her height, a lot of what we're working on right now is just how to come back down. Yeah. How to land, how to bound properly, how to soften into, you know, how to catch the egg, how to soften and, and take load into joints. So do you, do you work, obviously you work on both, I know, but is that more what you were saying when you were saying jumping or is it, is it both? Yes, I was definitely, um, definitely landing for sure. That's the area that usually needs the most work. Um, I have another 11 year old soccer player I'm working with and she recently had, she had knee surgery this summer, was going to PT somewhere else. Mom thought she you know, she got to the end of her PT and mom was like, she's not ready yet. She can't even, I watch her run. She's not running. Like she's, you know, moving funky. So they found me, I started working with her and she couldn't single leg hop off of her surgical leg. Like she couldn't even get off of the ground. I'm like, have you worked on jumping and PT? Like, did you do anything? She's like, no. And so it's like, okay, like you're a soccer player. You want to play goalie, like jumping and landing is kind of important. <laughs> so we started working on that and training it. And it's, it's definitely key. I mean, especially in a, a female soccer player, high prevalence of ACL injuries in that age, in that group and um, population. So super important. I have a, it's a newer program. So I have mostly newer athletes you know, because of COVID we stopped a lot of our programs for a little while. So a lot of these athletes are coming back to me and I, someone asked the other day about, you know, the time I spend on, I, I call them walk skips and bounds. Like I, I like to identify parts of the program for the athletes because it makes sense. So, you know, they come in, they go through, through walking, skipping and bounding patterns and it takes the first eight or nine minutes. And it's, and it seems like a lot of time, but for these athletes, it's crucial. Just learn how to come off the ground. And most of them have seen such the rapid nature of improvement with things like that, especially in a young athlete, is, is really impressive. You just got to get them doing it. You got to get them doing it the right way. Yep. Yeah, get their reps in for sure. Yeah. Well, Kayla, before we start wrapping up here, um, you know, what's, what's the goal with the business? What's next for you? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, I hope that going into the next year, we're still growing in the business. Um, and providing athletes with the sports-specific care that they really need. I hope to be offering more um, sports-specific or you know population-specific injury prevention programs coming next year. So the, I still have the arm care program for baseball athletes. Um, I also have a tennis medicine program that I'm launching next year, and then a, a performance enhancement program for female athletes. So and hopefully mostly aimed at like soccer and, and uh, basketball or volleyball, like those jumping athletes and working on a lot of landing mechanics and lower body strength. And those, you know, female athletes in that developmental age group, they're really not doing any or enough strength training. And so starting to implement some of that and just teaching good neuromuscular control and landing and um, mechanical uh, control too, with jumping and bounding and, and hopping and, so those are things that I hope to be offering more of next year as are more of those injury prevention type 
programs. Um, and then with COVID, we're still doing a lot of virtual stuff too and um, virtual you know, telehealth, physical therapy appointments and things like that. And then um, I do do some specific tennis medicine training virtually with athletes who are outside of uh, the state of Illinois. So hoping to continue to grow that as well. Awesome. And how, so for my listeners that are now interested in working with you virtually or local, how do they find you? How should they reach out to you? Yeah, so they can find me on the athleteconnectionpt.com um, or on social media at the Athlete Connection. Very cool. Kayla, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time and being on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I look forward to COVID changing a little bit and us having a little more <laughs> direct referrals back and forth again because that'll be yeah, fun. That'll be awesome. No, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, you stick around for all my listeners. Thank you. Don't forget to rate and review the episode. Reach out to Kayla uh, if you need her and see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at Mar Health and Performance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.